All right. Okay. So let's get into it. It just says, question for today's show. Hey, Phil, I'm getting ads on Facebook where Fender is giving 30% off their stuff. If my local shop can't match this deal, which would make sense because that's about their margin, 30 to 40%, should I feel guilty for buying direct? I mean, feeling guilty, I mean, I guess if you have a nice relationship with your local shop, I mean, you'd probably want to give them as much business as possible. Let's take a look real quick because 30% off is a huge margin. I mean, huge uh, for dealers in this market, in this industry for Fender to give 30% off, that is almost what the dealer margin would be. What we don't know is that because I was a Fender dealer for almost 12 years, Fender could be giving rebates. For some reason, Fender.com will not come up. And I just want to see here's four days left, 20% off Acoustasonics. Okay, shop now. Yeah, that's really blowing these out. Okay, so that's not the 30%, but 20% is tight. My understanding is they have tons and tons of these. And so you guys know, I was pretty hard on them when they first came out, but that's because I thought they were really making a lot of these and I didn't know what the market was. I don't think I was wrong, but I don't think they were wrong either. What I mean by that is I was wrong where I think there was a bigger market than I anticipated for these Acoustasonics. However, where I think they were wrong is they made way too many of these. That's why they're they're blowing them out. I mean, 20% off is a pretty pretty aggressive discount. Let's go ahead and go to look at electrics. Uh, let's see what we're seeing here. Selling fast, limited quantities. <laughs> I saw the same thing you saw, the 30% off. Obviously you can tell here. Yeah, that's a pretty aggressive discount. Hey, look, don't miss out. You'll get 10% off your first order. So you'll get 10% off. Doesn't say anything about excluding if you get the, uh, you know, if you're buying something on discount. So you, this is exactly what we talk about, you know, manufacturers selling direct and then undercutting dealers. And of course we know what's going on. Everybody's kind of inventory heavy right now. So the dealers would like to give those discounts as well too. Like I said, we don't know if they're giving discounts. I've had it happen both ways as a Fender dealer. I've had it where Fender's like, we're gonna blow out this stuff and there's some kind of rebate for the dealer or some kind of incentive if the dealer buys in again and does other things. And I've had it where they're just like, that's just how it is. <laughs> it's the recession and that was the end of it. Suro Gastan says Squire is 30% off. That would make sense. All the stuff. We know all the stuff that came from overseas, uh, China, Indonesia, Korea, because those boats came in slow. You know, obviously they were floating in the ocean for a long time. That inventory hit a little late. The demand fell off dramatically. The core of this question is two parts. One, should you feel guilty about buying something at a discount? No, you, you don't have to give all your money to an independent dealer. But if it's something that concerns you, what I might suggest is maybe take that guitar in for service to your local mom and pop. Maybe take it in and get some new strings uh, to your mom and pop. I mean, think about it this way. If they match it, they're not going to make a whole lot of money anyways. So maybe they want to get rid of that product. I would say if they had it on their wall too and it was sitting there and they'd like to get rid of it, they'd sure like that opportunity. Maybe they would take it. I would take it in that situation if I was inventory heavy and somebody came in and said, hey, Fender's blowing this out for 25, 30%. Would you match it? And it gets set out the door and gets money back in my, cause you gotta understand in, in retail, it's not so much emotional. You just like this stuff is on the wall and turn it back into money turn it back into new product that will be exciting and get, and then you get your profit. It's not gonna do you any good sitting on the wall, just rotting and losing value. So basically what I would say is they can't match it or if you don't feel you wanna ask them to match it cause you're afraid they might lose money, buy direct and then also you know uh, frequent them in other ways. Support them is what I'm trying to say. Obviously you value them, otherwise you wouldn't ask the question like that. You would have said like, hey, woohoo, 30% off, let's all buy direct from Fender. And this is what we've been talking about. And a lot of dealers are on the internet right now talking about exactly this. 
this. It's a different climate and it's really tough to compete when the manufacturers are going direct with you guys. This is exactly what I just said. Think about this. I just clicked on that vendor website. While I'm looking at deals, it's like, hey, get an extra 10% off for being a first time buyer. I don't even know if there are if the dealers are allowed to do that. Think about that. I'd have to go through and try to find my old agreements, which could be dated at this time. I don't think we were allowed to do that as a dealer. I don't think I was allowed to post you know, any Fender product. I'll give you 10% off publicly. That's a that's breaking my map right there because you're posting a, a, a sale. I mean, I probably could get away with if I said 10% off anything in the store, but even then Fender would say, no, that's a violation of map. I would imagine. I'm not telling you guys to go out there and just basically spend your money and, and you know get the, get the sale, get the deal. I'm actually cautioning people don't pay full price when there's deals out there. That's the whole point about having some kind of an education-based channel. It's like I'm trying to tell you guys, like, I'm not even saying, like, you know, go out there and fight for those deals. I'm saying there might be a deal. Don't just blindly buy right now. The other night, I've talked about this many times before in the last couple weeks. The other night, I was on the couch uh, looking at reverb, you know, guitars on reverb, as I do, and my phone kept chiming. And after about the third or fourth chime, my wife looks over and goes, who's texting you? And I go, Oh, it's the offers coming from Reverb. Everything I'm looking at, I'm getting an offer right away. So uh, that's my suggestion is, uh, you know, if they have, if Fender has it in stock and you want to buy it, great. If you want to support your local dealer, I think that's even better. I think you get more value for that. I did a, think about this, one of the first videos I ever did that pissed Fender off and then in turn pissed me off was I did a video comparing a guitar, a Squire straight from Fender to a guitar, to a Squire straight from Sweetwater and compared the two and basically said, you know, where's the value added in buying it direct from Fender? There wasn't any. They're not giving you a discount. They're not giving you a better service. They're not giving you a better return policy. I couldn't find the value added. This isn't to bag on them for this, okay? I understand as someone who's been in business for a long time as well, that you have to make decisions and all those decisions aren't the best. You know, they just are what you have to make. So I think if you can find this deal that Fender's giving you from a dealer, I would do that first. If you can't, obviously, you know, hey, it's, you know, save your money. It's your money. You worked hard for it. I hope that all makes sense. It's a tough thing to navigate for me on a show like this when I want to really emphasize two things. I really like supporting community and people who have passion and businesses that have passion that will be here in the long run. And let's face it, cold, dead-eyed corporations that sell you something because you clicked on a website is not the thing I really want to support. I want to support people who care and want to, like I said, add value. On the other hand, I want, like you guys, to take the hard-earned money I have and keep as much of it in my pocket as possible, especially when it's talking about things like this. These are things that we don't need. So because of that, they are harder to justify. It's a hard thing to say, like, do I need this extra pedal or guitar? And sometimes if you're like, well, the price is a little better, it's a little less ex expenditures for me, and therefore I'm not hitting the bank so hard. Bob Maddock says, have you ever had a guitar fall off the wall? Um, and uh, I talked about this, but I didn't finish it. So let me let me finish it. It says, uh, the screws came loose on one of mine this week. Luckily, it was only my Tele kick guitar. And the only damage was some dents on the sixth fret uh, that can be recrowned. So I'm glad nothing happened to the guitar. Uh, well, not nothing, but it's fixable. Um, yes, I have. The only guitar I've ever had fall off a wall is the one time I didn't use a string swing. Uh, now, so you know, I used a uh, generic, it was a Fender hanger. And uh, Fender didn't make it. It was just some branded uh, junk thing that had Fender's logo on it. And I tried it because I'm, I'm a Fender fanatic. I like Fender a lot. 
you know, I know I talk about Fender as a business, but as product, I'm I'm in love. I mean, I'm a Strat, Tele, P-Bass, Jazz Bass, Parson player through and through. Uh, nothing will deter me. It's like, you know, if you if you had to grind me down to like the absolute easiest choice in the world for me, it's a Fender amp and a Fender guitar, and I'm just as happy as you could ever be. Um, same thing with a bass. You know, I can just play a Fender bass. Obviously, I, I'm attracted to the Fender logo, so I have a lot of Fender logo stuff. And so the idea of having a, a hanger with Fender logo really appealed to me. I wished at that time they would have used string swing. Um, I have used string swing for many years. I've told this story so many times on this channel, which is I bought all string swing for the store. And not only did it never fail me, when the store grew to its second location, I ripped all the string swing from that wall, put them in the new store's wall. They worked absolutely fine. And they're on these walls right now. These are the hangers that are from... Uh, these hangers are all from 2004. <laughs> there might be one or two in here that are somehow newer, but I doubt it. These are all from 2004. And this room that I'm in right now is not the room that I was doing the podcast in just a few months ago, which was not the room I was doing it a couple years ago in. So not only have they been moved from store to store to my old house, to this new house, to another room, to this room, that's how many times I'm ripped from the wall and reinstalled them. So uh, here's what I can tell you. The hangers are perfect. So if you want, uh, I have, I fully trust string swing products. I'm not paid by them. I wouldn't take money from them even if they offered it to me. The only thing I can tell you about string swing is the product is perfect. So it's just about how you install it. So obviously if you can hit a stud, that is perfect. The only thing you want to make sure is you're using the correct anchors. Now string swing gives you anchors. You might be fine with those. Those are not the anchors I use. I have a newer, older home. I say that because it's not new, but it's newer. And so the newer your home, what I've learned, and I'm not a construction person, but what I've learned is the thinner your drywall is. <laughs> so my house has got thinner drywall. And even the new homes have that new drywall where you can just pick it up. It's like air and it's thinner. And what I've learned with that is I use different anchors. I use like the butterfly anchor anchors. So that's my suggestion is not only use string swing, but then use quality anchors if you can't hit a stud. Sean Brooks says he's talking about the new Marshall JTM uh, 20 watt head that it's $1,800. And he's like, it's basically, he's asking if it's just basically a reskinned DSL. He says, does being built in UK mean if it's all made with Chinese parts? That's a great question. I actually look at it this way and I hope Sean, this will make sense for you. We all know that almost everything that's made in the USA that's this, this technology-based, like a pedal or an amp, it's mostly going to be done with import parts. We know all the stuff's going to be, you know, import parts in these amps. That's just how it goes. My thing about this is, is there's a logic that I, I want to stay away from me personally, and here's what it is. There's this point where you go, okay, well, if all the components are made in China and it's just assembled in the USA or UK, then why not just go make it in China? or Vietnam or Indonesia or wherever you want. That is what's happened to a lot of companies like Ampeg, by the way. Ampeg was a main USA product. And then slowly, obviously, the pro the components that they were building was, they were making more and more stuff with Chinese components, components from Taiwan, Indonesia. And then at some point, they were like, well, why assemble it here? Because, you know, we're paying these workers way too much and the cost of the building's way too much, and it's just the last 10%. Kind of like that's the logic, right? Like once you're about 75% import you know, Chinese parts, why pay premium for the last 25%? And then they moved to Vietnam, and that's why all the, the Ampeg was made at the time. I don't know where it's made now, because since making that decision, they ended up selling the company off to Yamaha. So that was loud that made that decision. It's kind of like the be careful what you ask for kind of thing. 
at that point, I was so like, yeah, it's almost all made in China. So who the hell cares? It's just assembled here until it wasn't even assembled here. And then I realized like, oh, I kind of, I kind of wish it would had that back. So I kind of, that's where I say, I'm saying, same with the, the made in England Marshall stuff. Yeah, I get it. You're right. As far as, as far as I can tell, I see what you see. I buy a made in England Marshall. I buy a made in Vietnam Marshall. I look inside them. They look almost identical parts to me. And it's just the assembly process is different. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, oh, no, but if it's made in UK, it's just superior. I, I don't know if that's true. I just know that I'm okay with that last bit staying in UK. And if more can come back, it's more likely, there's more likely if they can hold on, if companies can hold on to making stuff in UK. Because here's why. Uh, COVID taught us this. How many companies were at that last bastion? Like they were basically, they only were doing the last few things in the U.S. or the last thing, few things in, in in Germany, last few things in U.K. And then when COVID happened, they had supply chain issues with, with uh, China. They just said, screw it. And they went back. They were like, we're going to make it all here in the U.S. We're just going to make it all here in the U.K. We're going to make it all in Germany. But let me tell you who can't do that. The company that finally gave up that last 25% and moved that last 25% over. And then now they're, now it's like, oh, we, we can't get stuff from China and we and the price of real estate has gotten crazy. We can't buy a building and we can't hire people and we can't start from scratch. So I'm OK with everything holding on for that last bit. But I understand your point, too. And, uh, you know, and what's great is it's not a it's in my opinion, it's not a thing where it's like you don't get a choice. You absolutely get a choice. Here's your choice. You can totally buy an amp that's made in Vietnam, in China, whatever, 100%, less money, you can buy that. Or you can buy one that's finished in UK or the US, or you can buy a complete one made in UK and US because there are companies that are doing almost most of that stuff in, in those countries. It's your choice, <laughs> right? So, so, and same to me, it's my choice. So it's whatever, whatever you want to choose. You, you get to have, you know, whatever you want. And then when you hope for the best, at least I'm hoping for the best. Um, and that's just my thoughts on that. And it's, um, it's a tough subject. So you guys know, it's a tough thing to talk about. It seems to polarize people. Episodes where I talk like this, I always seem to notice a dip in, <laughs> in views and less subscribers as I irritate people, as you get people get irritated by these conversations. But I think these conversations are uh, worth having, right? I'm not here to tell you what, what to think, but I, I think it's important to have a discussion about something, about this stuff. Um, okay, this next one, let me let me go to a super chat because there's a bunch of people who have super chats that have been waiting. And uh, what's nice is I never lose the super chats. I've told you guys that before. They all kind of stay in order. So this one came from Jeff Harper who says, hey, I just purchased a Fender Blues Junior. Mojo Tone has a larger 112 and a 210, 210-inch speaker cabinets that you can drop the Blues Junior in. Um, plus minus of the 112 stock cabinet versus the bigger 112 cabinet. Okay, so he's got he's saying that they have two 112s, a slightly bigger, a slightly smaller, uh, and the 212 cabinet recommendation. So I think what he's asking me is what what I what what's my two cents on this, right? Um, a couple things. I'm not a big huge fan of the 210 cabinet, even though I'm a huge basement fan, which is 410s. But there's something about the basement to me, and the 410 cabinet that the 59 basement comes in that's magical together. It's like a really cool combination of things. Uh, 210s to me, they break up a little too much for my ears. Again, I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm telling you what I what I would do in your situ situation. 
I like the sound of the 112 over the 10. Definitely the 210s for the breakup of sound. I also like the weight difference because 210s is going to be heavier. It's just in, unless you get Neo speakers, they're just heavier. Um, it's why I don't own a 410 co a combo right now. It's because, you know, I love the Fender 59 basement, but the thing's so heavy picking it up. Just like the Super Reverb, it's just it's obnoxious once you had four giant magnets uh, in the cabinet. Um, I would get the oversized 112. Because one of the things I love about, I've actually done this, so you know, it's not like I'm just guessing. This is something I've had experience with, with the Blues Junior and changing different cabinets with it. What I've kind of learned is, is if you take the Blues Junior and you put it in a bigger oversized 112 cabinet with a good 112 speaker, it sounds as big to me at moderate volumes as the Hot Rod Deluxe which is really cool because you realize like, you know, the Hot Rod Deluxe has a lot of a fullness and body to the sound. And the Blues Junior, of course, I think sounds great too, but it doesn't have that fullness. It's more in the high upper mid range sound. But when you put in that bigger cabinet, especially a pine cabinet, if you get pine and a nice 112, you'll get a fat clean sound and you'll get more of a Hot Rod Deluxe kind of vibe, which is just a little fuller sounding to me. Until, of course, you crank the Blues Junior up and then you'll hear where the headroom's gone. But my guess is, and I, my guess is you won't, you won't get there. <laughs> you won't worry about it. That's just my thoughts. The 210, I think I would only want that if I wanted more of a growl or distortion. Um, it's like I said, it's just, it's a great sound. Don't get me wrong. But to me with 10s, I've always been either a 110 or a 410 kind of guy like for sound, like I like it for some things, but mostly when I like a 110 inch speaker, anything, it's because I like how good it sounds super quiet because the cone's moving a little bit more than a 12 and, you know, at lower volumes, uh, if that makes any sense. And then, so, you know, just cause it's a guitar talk, uh, as a bass player, I'm the totally opposite of that logic. <laughs> I would tell you, you need tens over 12s. I like 12s for bass, but I prefer tens. So it does, it does flip. Um, Grumpy Mike Guitar says, what? Wait, do I need to buy a Blues Junior? Uh, you probably should buy four of them. And you can, if you buy five of them, you'll beat me. Like that's, I don't know what you get if you beat me, but I've, I bought four. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> this is great. Sean says, I had the Super Reverb Tone Master Series. Um, and even though it wasn't heavy, it was a uh, it was a tall land awkward yes dude not only I mean let's not not the tone master version but the super reverb not only is it heavy as hell the the real one but uh, I don't know what it is like I'm six foot so you know when I put my hand through the handle on that um, I can't lift it by like tilting my body I have to actually like pick it up and it's so heavy you're just like oh god it's so crazy. Um, and the tone master is so much lighter, but yes, it's like the perfect height. It's like, right. It's like, it's like if I hold it, the handle, it's touching the ground almost. So I'm really excited and hoping for, I think somebody put in the comments too. I'm super excited and waiting for a tone master 59 basement. I'm going to buy one, even if it sounds like turds, I don't care. Um, I, I have my deluxe tone master 65 deluxe. I still dig it. Like I said, I bought one used on sale you know, on a deal. And so I'm happy with what I paid for it and what I have into it. And I enjoy it. And man, uh, but if they make a 59 basement, uh, tone master, uh, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in that second, that minute I'm done. No, you know, you won't have to ask me. We review it. It's, I will buy it the second they announce it and it'll be done. Um, 
just because I want to stare at it. It's one of my, it's, you know how people, a lot of musicians, you know, obviously love guitars, but love amps the way they look. Some people like musicians really love the way the Marshalls look, the wall of Marshall look and all that stuff. I don't know what it is. There's just something about tweed amps for me. There's just something about them. When I see them, I just love them. And then to me, even more iconic is the, is the basement. It's just something about the look on stage. I just, I like it. I love it when it's just sitting on stage by itself with like a spotlight on it. <laughs> I saw um, Buddy Guy once and he had a Fender Bassman. No, he had a, uh, was it a Kendrick? He had one of the uh, the guys who make like a different version of the Bassman. But either way, it looked like the Fender Bassman. It was just sitting on stage. He had two of them side by side and one wall pedal going into them and that's it. And I think it's a wireless unit. And uh I just love thing about that rig just makes it awesome. So there you go. The uh um <laughs> I bought I bought a Fender Basement a couple years ago, used it at Guitar Center. I walked in and they had a good deal and it was like eight hundred bucks and I was like, Wow, this is right before the pandemic. And uh Ralph was with me and I bought it. We brought it home, we went in the front room, we plugged it in, I cranked it, I had a couple chords, we both like looked at each other like, Yeah. My daughter came out of her bedroom upstairs and she's like, Really, please could you not? <laughs> She's like, what is wrong with you guys? And then we started laughing and I go, it's official. My mother and my daughter have now told me to turn things down in my lifetime. <laughs> so, but what ended up happening was that one started shorting out and having problems. And uh, we took it to Guitar Center to see. And then the guy, the, uh, the guy at Guitar Center, when we told him, we go, yeah, it's like shorting out. It's doing something weird. And uh, he goes, oh, yeah, that's why I got returned. <laughs> that's what he said. And we're like, uh-huh. So could we get it fixed? Because I, I, I want it. And he's like, nah. He's like, we're gonna, we gotta just, it'll go back and then they'll figure out what to do with it. So, okay. We probably should stay on staring tra tra <laughs> track. I'm all over the place right now. Okay, we, uh, we what? We, okay. We need to get to the screen. Okay, here's a question that came in off the, uh, off the uh, knowyourgearpodcast.com. And this one was funny because I'm not saying they were trying to get my goat, uh, you know, get me a little bit, but it felt a little like pokey, like they were poking at me the way it was worded. I could be, if, uh, if you're the person said it, I apologize if I'm reading it a little bit interestingly. Um, and this is probably going to be a more controversial type subject. Uh, the question was, um, it says, uh, I would love to know how you would feel, <laughs> okay? if Harley Benton copied a Badlands guitar and it could have been just matter of fact, you know, uh, I, you know, my wife talks matter of fact, and sometimes that's how, you know, her emails, uh, sometimes some seem curt, but they're really just professional and to the fact, maybe that's how he came across. But at first I read it like, Oh, is he trying to get me? So, uh, <laughs> so it's, so the basic of the question was how would I feel if Harley Benton copied a Badlands guitar? And this is a, a great question because one, it kind of caught my eye and I read it and I was like, oh, okay. And then also there's a second question that came from somebody else or another question came from somebody that also is about Harley Benton. And I'm going to blend the two questions into this one subject, if you guys don't mind. So to answer your question, how would I feel if Harley Benton copied or made a uh, guitar that looked like a Badlands guitar. Um, first, I personally wouldn't care. So let's start there. Now, keep in mind, I'm not the owner of Badlands. I have ownership in Badlands, so I can't speak for the 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 
the hive mind of, of that company. Okay. Um, so here's how I look at it. First of all, Badlands is literally just replicas of things that existed in the past. So the only proprietary thing that Badlands could have is maybe the headstock. Harley Benton doesn't seem to attack that, by the way. So that's something to talk about there. Um, and, but here's what I want to talk about. First, I don't, I'm not a lawyer, so that's one. But two, I don't want to come at it like a lawyer would come at it. What I want to talk about is the trademark and why I believe if Harley Benton made a Badlands-looking style guitar, um, why it doesn't bother me. It's not just like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> it's, um, I believe that trademarks should be to protect people, not companies. I, I've owned and currently own mint many intellectual properties. I have the Blackstock pickups. I have the Know Your Gear podcast. I mean, you know, it may not seem like a big deal to people, but it's mine. I created it and it's, it's does well. It makes good income. So obviously I, I value it. But that value is more about a consumer when I worry about them. So let me let me explain what I mean by that. Um, to me, a trademark should protect the cu the customer because the cu the whole point of a trademark is that that no one makes a product that confuses the customer. So what I mean by that is if Coca Cola this is my analogy. If Coca Cola had a can, it's red and it says Coca Cola. And somebody made a red can and called it uh, Soda Cola, right? And did it the same script. The idea is, even though the name's different, it might confuse the customer if they walk in the store and they're just so used to seeing the red cans of soda with the script, they grab it. Um, do I think it's wrong that a company knocks off Coke and makes a type of Coca-Cola product and sells it for cheaper? No, but do I have concern that a customer could buy it not knowing they bought not Coca-Cola, right? Not the product they intended to buy, okay? And that's where trademark should protect the consumers. A perfect example of that is, by the way, is when Paul Reed Smith was sued by Gibson and Gibson lost on the single cut. The idea was that Paul Reed Smith said, the consumer is not confused by this. No one is walking in a store and buying a Paul Reed Smith single cut guitar and walking out thinking they bought a Gibson. I agreed with that. So, you know, I agree with that statement. I agree with that, um, that logic. Um, and so I don't think there is an issue there. In other words, I think as long as the consumer is protected, um, where I've had problems in the past, and you guys have talked, seen this on my channel is like with AliExpress. If somebody made a product, like if somebody makes a fender, it looks exactly like a fender and they put the fender logo on there. And the sole intention is to make it confuse the customer. Right. And some of you guys will go, yeah, but I bought a fake off AliExpress and I knew what I was buying. Well, that's what, that's good. You did. Cause you knew it was fake. But a fake by definition is trying to confuse somebody. That's why it's faked, right? It's not inspired by, it's not like, it's a clone, right? If you're cloning it, you're you're obviously up to something. And even if the customer's in on it, maybe that's okay for the, that person. But like I've seen in the past, that once that customer buys that guitar and then throws it on Craigslist and sells it off, then the next person might not be so kind. They might try to convince somebody that it's they're buying a real Fender when they're buying a fake. So same thing with Badlands. If somebody was to make a AliExpress Badlands copy, obviously I, I would I would say my my suggestion to Badlands would be you need to fight this. We need to fight this and stop this. Shut this down because this is a fraud. In other words, customers may think they bought our product and they bought a fake. If Harley Benton was to make a Badlands like a red striped uh, '80s looking dinky guitar with a Harley Benton logo and headstock. Uh, I'd be like, yeah, 
that's pretty cool. In fact, so you guys know, <laughs> I've actually reached out to Harley Benton before this question ever came out and uh, and told Harley Benton if they wanted to knock off uh, Badlands, we would actually help them um, because we're very aware that people might knock off what we've done. Not because, again, the intellectual property of a, of a Jackson Kramer style guitar is not that, to me, that, that crazy. But look, we sold out fast. Um, there is a lot of publicity on the Badlands because it's a social media. I'm a social media person, the Tone King social media. So a lot of eyeballs got put on the guitars, way more than the 50 original owners of the 100 second batch owners. I mean, there's 150 customers, but there's thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of people wear the brand. So of course, it's like Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> making a version of your song. If Harley Benton was to make a Badlands inspired guitar, uh, uh, we would obviously help them. In fact, so you know, and this is absolutely fact, I, I would never lie to you guys about any of this stuff. Um, I've all, not only we've told Harley Benton, I, I was the one who, who did it, um, that, but I had uh, permission from Brain Trust to discuss this with them. Hey, if you want to make a guitar, we'd like to actually maybe get a royalty deal out of it and help you. Not not a royalty deal like, oh, you're using our, our, our likeness of our guitar and therefore pay us. It's no, we'll help you make it even better. We'll help you with the pickup choice you're doing or we'll tell you ahead of time what we're going to do next and maybe you can launch yours around the same time as us. And if there's, and and why not? Why not make a better product for the consumer um, because there's nobody out there is going to be confused that the $2,800 made in the USA with every detail being taken care of and the cases and all this stuff is the same product as a $300 Harley Benton guitar. <laughs> okay. But, um, in fact, I even told them, I said, you should put stainless steel frets on it because everybody wants stainless steel frets and you can one up us with stainless steel frets on that version. Just like I said, uh, stay away from our logo and our headstock because that's where the confusion would happen. We would never want a customer to be confused because again, that's taking advantage of the customer. Do I think all companies should do this? I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I can tell you this, and I've, I've said this many times. I've been in so many shops and so many factories in the world, around the world and high-end guitar companies that tell me all the time, like they hate the knockoffs, they hate the cheap guitars. I always remind them, that's where guitar playing starts. You can't sell, this is my opinion, you can't sell a $3,000 guitar until somebody sells somebody a $300 guitar. It doesn't exist. There are a few people out there, maybe, exceptions. I don't know how many people are watching right now. Let's see how many people are watching. 800 of you watching right now. Out of the 800 of you, I'm going to do some guessing, okay? I'm going to guess that less than 5% of you started with a $3,000 guitar. In fact, I'd say less than 1%. <laughs> it's 80 of you, maybe. Maybe 20 of you started with a $3,000 guitar. Um, and that's probably because you probably stayed, started in your 40s and 50s and decided you're going to buy what you want. Most people start with an inexpensive guitar. And some... And, and actually a majority are fine there. They found a product that's great, fills their needs, and it's a, it's, a pro, it's a perfect product and they stay with it. And then some people get the itch and they gotta have something a little better. And a lot of it's really just about getting something unique or getting something that's more close to what your idol really has. <laughs> and that's in your, your mind and, and that happens too. But the reality is, um, is I've told you before, I'm not interested in making a import version of a Badlands because I think what Badlands is doing is kind of unique, you know, replicating these more expensive high-end 80s style guitars and doing a really kind of fun thing on it and making it 
more obtainable. Again, I use the word obtainable because they're not affordable guitars, but it's not the $6,000. I mean, the week, uh, the week, the, uh, hollow flash was released. I don't know if you guys knew this, the week that the hollow flash was released for $2,800, $2,750 or whatever it was, um, which is hella expensive the same week. BC Rich got their gunslingers in stock for $4,300 a piece. And their their custom graphic series uh, guitars, which are coming out like now, are $6,500 a piece. So, I mean, obviously we were able to use like people, like, like, like factories, like people, like every, you know, like materials and come in at half the price. Is it cheap? No, but it's more obtainable. So back to the Harley Ben thing. Would I be upset if they copied it? No. I wouldn't. I'd, I'd, I'd hope they do a good job. I think Harley Benton does a good job. And if I could have some say-so, uh, especially the the brain trust, the Badlands, if we could have some say-so, I think we could make, help them make even a better product for you guys. And, and then, you know, what we could do is, this is what we told them, by the way, if we could work out some kind of deal where they paid us some kind of royalty for the expertise and help on doing that, we could take that money and then invest that more into the USA side of making more Badlands. Maybe get the price down on Badlands a little bit, subsidize it. Maybe, maybe build the shop out a little bit more. Maybe do something like that. All those things are uh, opportunities. Or you know, they could just build it without our, you know, without our help, and I'd still be fine. It's like I said, because I don't have a problem. I think it's my pet peeve in business. By the way. It's like YouTubers, right? I'm a YouTuber and, you know, if I was to say, like I said, all of a sudden if I saw a YouTuber with a black hat and a black shirt and a bunch of guitars on their wall, what am I going to say? Oh, you copied it? I copied this. This is like, I took this from Scott Grove and the Tone King and, and, and this is, like I said, it's all inspired by and it builds off of and stuff. And the whole point is to do something better. It's something, whether it's better because it's better quality, what is better because it's more affordable. The whole point is to do something better. Outdo your competition. Keep doing, improving. And that's uh, what I love about business. What I hate about business is when people basically try to lock other people out of it. Oh, don't do what I did. No, like I said, don't, don't try to scam a customer by saying your, your product is my product. That's not right. But, you know, like I said, so if Harley Benton can make a, a Badlands looking guitar that has the same kind of features for basically $300, I can't do that, so let them do it. But this is an interesting thing because it ties into the second question I got. So the second question came off the website as well and said, some YouTubers lately, I always love it, started every sentence with that. Some YouTubers lately, I'm like, no, nah, that's us. I'm a YouTuber, I think, apparently. Uh, okay, so some YouTubers lately have been saying, Harley Benton is the worst company and they use horrible labor practices in China, okay? And there is no way you can make a guitar for $250 ethically. Okay, so here's what we're not gonna talk about. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> so first, I, 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 have, I, have, I have to tell you that, like I've said, I've been to 35 factories and shops around the world. I want to go to Cortec in Indonesia. Um, I, I think that's gonna be something I'll achieve, uh, not only in my life, but hopefully in the next year or two. Um, I don't know how it's going to happen, but like I said, I have some friends there, so maybe I can make that happen. Um, but you have to understand, I just saw a cool article about some influencers and they went to like this factory in China and then they were like, it's amazing. I don't know what he was talking about. And then it came to bear that, of course, the factory flew the influencers out and because they were flown out, they put up like a facade. 
I, I could tell you this. I've been to many factories as an influencer and as a just a person who knew somebody in the industry and got in. And I've had like experiences, but definitely the charm comes on when they think you have a camera. So I would never say sugarcoating thing and say, no, no, it was a great factory. It was perfect. I'm like, no, sometimes, you know, I'm sure I was given the, you know, the special tour, right? Okay. So that being said, you know, I don't know what the practices are for companies. Okay. Uh, I just don't know. Um, I've, I've done as much research as most of you guys doing online and you hear different things and some stuff is, you know, clear and some stuff is not clear. However, what I will share is what I do know about Harley Benton. Okay. And this doesn't mean this is the whole story. This is a piece of a story about Harley Benton that I happen to know, and I'm going to tell you how I know it. When I was at Tolman uh, at an event that I was flown to, I was hanging out doing content for Tolman. I wandered, as I do on these events, I wandered around, and I wandered upstairs, and I started talking to the Harley Benton folks and asked them some questions. And here's what I learned from those discussions, and uh, I'm going to share with you. So the first thing I'm going to share with you is um, the reason this is coming up lately about Harley Benton, I think, is I saw all the press they got with the new line of PRS-style uh, Harley Benton guitars. I'd also like to tell you, okay, there it is. So let me just share this with you. And I hope you appreciate it. I got I to gotta move a lot of screens around because my screen share is in one spot. Okay, so let's start with this. This is the guitar that I'm going to talk about, if that helps. This one right here. This is the uh, Harley Benton. This is their new guitar. It's $250, and it's obviously a PRS. <laughs> okay. Uh, in fact, it's it's the Holy Grail PRS. It's the PRS that Nathan made me. It's a uh, custom 24, see, 24 frets, with a hardtail one-piece wraparound bridge. If you guys aren't familiar, that is the uh, most rare uh, Paul Reed Smith uh, core guitar. Um, this one was a refinished one that Nathan did for me at the factory. Finding one that's just stock is rare, but of course, the refinish. Um, so of course, you know, Harley Benton went for something a little cool. This is a smart move for the Harley Benton guys because they're like, hey, we're gonna knock off PRS. Let's knock them off on something they're not even making really, much less in the SE line, in the core line. Okay, so $250. Here's the first thing I wanna tell you. The majority, let me go back. Okay, let me share the next screen with you. Because I cannot tell you this is a fact. I can only tell you what I was told and what I see with my own eyes. I was told by Harley Benton that the majority of the guitars are made in Indonesia and they're made in factories we know. Well, looking at the back of the headstock, here it is, made in Indonesia. Um, I won't tell you how I know, but I can tell you from the serial number, I actually can tell this factory. <laughs> so this is not a special Harley Benton factory. This is an actual factory most of you guys probably have guitars from. So here's what I can tell you about Harley Benton. As far as, and again, I have dogged Harley Benton probably harder than anyone on this channel about how they ship me stuff that was broken and they wouldn't replace it. So I'm just telling you guys, like I have no fanfare favor for these guys, but I can only, I got to tell you what I know. Uh, so maybe you can have that as information as well. Um, so to the question of they're the worst company that uses the worst labor practices in China. I'm not saying they make good decisions. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not saying they don't use horrible uh, labor practices in China. I don't know any of that stuff. What I can tell you is, is that who's building Harley Benton for the most part is building a lot. And I mean, a lot of the brands you have, um, that, uh, this, this PRS right here, I'm going to go back to it. Actually, 
going to go to another one. I'm going to pull this one up, share with you guys. Here's another one. Can we make it bigger? It's got to take a second because internets. <laughs> okay. Indonesia. Now, could it be these are prototypes made in Indonesia and the ones you get on? I, I don't know. I'd love for you guys to tell me. That's how we can keep everybody honest on the internet here. You know, it's great about these discussions is you can put in the comments in this video later, like, hey, I got one, Phil, and mine's not made in Indonesia. And it's not made by this factory. You want to make sure that the factory, the uh, serial number starts with a W, I, and then 21. So anyways, my point is, is that uh, is Harley Benton evil? I have no idea, but I can tell you they're making their guitars where other people are making their guitars. So the next question becomes the price, and that becomes a thing. And this is a, a sore spot for me, so I, I want to share it with you. Um, because, and again, uh, you know, I always tell you guys, everybody's biased. I'll tell you what my bias is. One of my bias about um, comments about companies, whether it's like, I don't buy from China, which is fine. I mean, all the stuff you guys say is fine. I'm just, I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just explaining like, where I have a weird observation about the community as a whole, okay? When people tell me like, I don't buy this this product, this is made with slave labor. I don't buy this product because it's made you know unethically. I don't buy this because of where it's sourced, okay? What I find is, is that the majority of those comments, whether they're true or not, lay in videos with guitars where the prices are super low. A perfect example of this is, I'll do a video of a product and it's super cheap. Like it's super cheap, okay, uh, to $300. And the comments will come flaring in. They'll go, oh, you you know, you guys that buy these guitars, you know, whoever buys these guitars, they go, you guys buy these guitars, you, you're, this is unethical. Here's the funny thing. If you're saying, yeah, well, you're buying, you know, USA handcrafted guitars or, you know, guitars built by your local luthiers and stuff, I, I could see your opinion. But a lot of times those opinions come from people who have bought a guitar from those same places that just happens to be five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. And then they go, well, this is ethical now. It's not ethical. What's happened is there's a lot of layers of pricing. So here's a good example. Um, part of Badlands uh, is that our marketing budget is zero dollars. It's zero. Okay. So I will, I will share with my patrons one day, I'm going to break down every single point. So I'm not going to do it publicly. There's no reason to, but, um, but if you care, I guess you can become a patron for five bucks when I, I'll announce what I'll do it even. So you don't even have to pay me $5 for multiple months. You can just pay for that month. Um, but um, I'll break down how much I invested. What was my first dividend? How, how long did it take to get my investment back with Badlands? I'll discuss those things like you. But I can tell you for right now, the biz, biggest upfront expense with Badlands was the legal fees. It was the attorney. That was the biggest thing. The attorney and the accountant. <laughs> those were the two biggest expenses going in. Um the marketing budget is $0 because I'm I'm an influencer, whatever the hell that is, right? I'm a YouTuber. I'm gonna, what do you want to call me? A talking, floating head, whatever the hell you want to call me. I'm that. So I can put a product out, you know, information about product very easily. So can the Tone King. We had that ability. Um, so we didn't have to pay a lot of people. So that we didn't keep that money. We gave that to the customer. That money was given to the customer. The ones who bought it know that because they own the guitar now, they've seen the guitar and they know what it's competing against and they saw that we'd be undercut those guys. Well, we undercut them because we removed as many price obstacles as, as we could and one of them is advertising. So when you look at a Paul Reed Smith, I'm not saying a, a Harley Benton is as good as a, a PRSSE, okay? 
they're just not the same level. But that level of difference is, is a few things. The PRS is gonna be a better guitar because they're gonna select better woods. Uh, PRS is gonna pick a slightly better character, you know, uh, types of woods. I'm not saying for tone, I'm just saying for like continuity to be more like the chord line. They're gonna ask for slightly better electronics. They're gonna probably ask for more hand time on the instruments, so there's less fail rate. Plus, PRS has to add in the cost of the fact that all those PRS guitars have to go to the PRS factory in Maryland, and there's a team there that goes through each guitar and sets them up and tries to make sure they fix any of the flaws they see from the factory. So that is an expense, okay? That you, so you see how you're adding expense, multiple shipping points, obviously added expense of, of going into the guitars. Then you have to add in, I just told you guys a couple weeks ago that PRS has one, in my opinion, one of the biggest social media budgets. There's a huge marketing budget for PRS, just like there is for Fender Gibson. That they don't just eat that. That's you. You have to pay that. You have to pay to find out what a PRS SE is. That's how marketing works, <laughs> right? You have to, somebody has to pay to get it in your face and you have to pay because they put it in your face. So that gets added to the budget. Then there's a dealer margin that has to add to the budget, <laughs> right? So all that stuff gets added to the budget. Harley Benton, what they do, what Tolman is doing is essentially they're using their big giant muscle of money because they're a huge billion dollar entity. They're just going to the factories that they're, basically their attitude is, their attitude is basically, these companies are going overseas and having a, a version of their guitar made, <laughs> okay, to drop the price and add in those features. And then Harley Benton's like basically going, or Toman is basically going, we can buy in huge volume because of our store. And they are, their advertising budget is built in. Here's why it's built in people already frequenting, frequenting their website. So they basically go to their website, they're gonna see the Harley Bentons. It's an easy product to sell, it's an easy product to add on. Um, it's a lower margin, they run on lower margins. And again, I'm not saying any, all those comments about ethics and all the other stuff isn't true. I'm just at, telling you that what is true for a fact on top of that stuff is, they are not paying a huge marketing budget. They're not adding a dealer margin in. Toman doesn't add a margin in for Toman. So whether it's sold directly uh, from the Harley Benton website or whatever Toman site or here on Reverb, they're not adding margin in that. Um, and it's a little bit of a marketing play. Like I said, the Harley Benton guys are smart. They want to get their product out there because um, it boosts the company as a whole. So that's kind of the thing. And that's how they do it. Because I want to tell you why I, I think this is interesting. I was very confused by Harley Benton's business model, which is why I talked to him that day. I didn't understand it. Um, I did a video where I reviewed one of their 212 cabinets and the two speakers that were in that cabinet, the two Slush and V30s that were in the Harley Benton cabinet, you could find those speakers for $20 more as than the cabinet was with the speakers in it. So just to re, uh, kind of hit that again. So you could buy a Harley Benton 212 cabinet with two vintage 30s for $20 less than you could buy those vintage 30s. And the comment sections in the video were like, but that's because the, the, the speakers are made in China. Well, so are the ones that you were buying for $20 less. They were still also made in China as well. Um, and then somebody goes, well, it's this, it's a loss leader, it's that, it's this. So I asked the Harley Benton guys and they basically said, look, they, they spec the cabinet as cheap as they can. And they bought, I think they said 10,000 speakers, which, my understanding would put them as either one of the biggest or the biggest purchaser of slush and speakers in the world. That would explain why the price went down a lot. I mean, they're basically buying a wholesale. Um, when people talk about the price and then let me explain something uh, as, as, as a 
as Badlands, I told you there's information I can share, right? Because you learn things. Just like I learned stuff repairing guitars, I shared that information. Now I'm building guitars. I can share that information with you too. First thing I can tell you is uh, we have an OEM account with uh, Seymour Duncan. I have, we have an OEM account with DiMarzio. Um, we're currently not using their pickups in our guitars, but we might do something in the future. I have the OEM pricing and it's a lot less, right? I mean, we're not paying... 20% less than you are for a pickup to put in a guitar. We're playing considerable lot less. So there is, and that's without the volume. That's just with that discount to buy OEM. Um, maybe in volume, that price even drops even more. So you can get pricing down. So that's my thoughts on that. Again, I'm not saying, because I don't know, that Harley Benton isn't entering practices that are unethical with their build quality and the people and the, you know, I just don't know. Um, if you do know, I'd love you to reach out. I, I, I love to know more because like you guys, I want to sleep at night knowing what I'm suggesting and what I'm looking at. But right now, what I know about them is they mostly make their products in the same factories as the other uh, uh, other companies. They're just buying in such huge volume, huge volume. And as I saw a couple of comments about their, their fit and finish and quality and stuff. Yeah, they don't care about that stuff, right? They're just hitting this price point. They don't get it out the door. That's the kind of like the logic. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's just easy. They, uh, they, they know you'll forgive them. You'll forgive that little glob of glue because you got it for $235, where if it was $500, sure, they'd make more money, but you wouldn't tolerate the mistakes. All right. So all that ties into those two questions. Let's, how are we doing on time? We're doing okay. Although we're, we're almost, let me get through some of these These questions. Um, all the good names were taken. That's a great sign on. It says, my my neck relief is at, at the eighth fret is good on the low E string, but way tight. Oh, it's and way tight. Okay, so good. So he's basically saying his action's good on, this, on the eighth fret of his low E string, but on the high E string, it's laying on every fret on the side on the high E, okay? Uh, does the neck have a twist? Uh, how am I going to fix that? Um, well, I'm not looking at the guitar, and so I'm assuming that your bridge isn't isn't messed up. I mean, obviously, that would be the first thing I would think of is that your bridge is slanted down, and that's what's causing that. Um, so the first thing I want to do is make sure that the bridge is, is set correctly. You could have a twist in the neck, but also keep in mind, one thing that could happen sometimes on guitars is even though if your bridge is level, okay, and you're like, what's well, level? and the two actions are different on each E, each e the, the high E and the low E, you may still have to tilt your bridge a little bit if that's adjustable. You really didn't give me any details. I don't even know if we're talking about acoustic guitar or electric guitar, but I understand the, the core of the question. The good news is this. Um, twisted necks are not that common, although they do happen a lot. So I tend to lean into, um, when you guys ask questions like that, the twisted neck is not likely the problem. It is possible, but... I would say, and I'm doing off memory, not so much off any kind of factual stats. Uh, when people brought in guitars to me that said they were twisted necks for a pair, I, 70, 80% were not. Like there was something else in play. So there's a lot of, uh, so like I said, it's usually the twisted neck is usually the, the, it's a very, it's more rare than people think. It does happen, but it's not super common, especially in modern guitars and modern guitar construction. It's just, there's a lot of stuff going on in there. Um, Mike Coffee says, uh, new guitar day, got a Duesenberg uh, Paloma. 
this week. White and black, really nice guitar. Uh, nice, nice in between from the Strat and the Les Paul. Well crafted. Uh, your Duesenberg re review was very helpful. Thank you. You know, it's a it's a good brand. They come up a lot um, on the channel, and I mean, they're quality guitars for sure. I like them. Um, John Walker says, "Would you please update your video guitar brands? Who makes who?" So. Uh, John, I did that video, who, uh, brands, who makes who, and then I did an update. I need to do an update again. So, but the, the funny thing about that video is, and I put a link in that video to the new updated video. Um, that video is old, like four or five years old. And then I did an update. that's like only like two or three years old or two years old. So it's way newer than that one. But yes, now there needs to be a current update video. Uh, so yes. So my answer to your question is yes, I'm gonna, I'll do an update video, but also, um, I want you to make sure that you saw the recent update video. And so, you, you know, the problem I have is, let's see if I, let's see if it'll do it. Um, if you go to YouTube, you type in Philip McKnight, who makes who, uh, yeah, let me share. The problem is, is that the one, oh, seven years ago. So it was right when I started my channel, uh, guitar brands, who makes who's got 670,000 views. And then the update video, which is almost half as old as that one has 117. So it doesn't come up in your filters, but it's more up to date. So that one's more up to date, but of course I need another one, especially after COVID. And that's why I haven't done it right away. Cause during COVID there were so much changes going on that I knew it was going to be a nightmare to follow it all afterwards. Um, so I even had the weirdest thing happen during COVID. I made a comment on this uh, video on the show about a brand that was owned by another brand. And a viewer reached out to me and said, I just talked to that brand and it's not true. You were wrong. They don't own that brand. And I was like, oh, I guess I, you know, things change. So I reached out to, to the president of that company going, yeah, I, I said you own this brand and I guess you don't. And they go, well, we did. And then we didn't, and now we do again. I'm like, what? And he goes, it's complicated, and it just happened over the last year. <laughs> so he goes, so when they told that first, I go, but it was like a couple weeks ago. He's like, yeah, we just recently just got it right back again. So I don't know what happened. My guess was, and again, I'm just guessing, my guess was they sold the company, and then something happened in the sale, and it went back to the original owners. So uh, so yeah, it's time to do an update video. Um, William says, I bought a Rick Beato guitar. Worst quality, the nut needed to be recut it will not intonate with 9 to 43 gauge strings. I, maybe he means 9 to 42, but it could be 43. Um, I had to buy an aftermarket bridge. Uh, the finish was cracking along with the neck binding. So obviously, Rick Beato just got a new uh, red signature guitar this week. And by the way, Marty Swartz just got his new Epiphone, which is fantastic. Congratulations, Marty Swartz. Um, so I don't know if you're talking about the new Rick Beato guitar. I don't know if you just got the new red one. Um, I am aware there is an issue with the blue one. So, you know, um, I've heard it from multiple sources that there were some issues with the blue ones. Um, that's what I can say. <laughs> the problem is, is I don't have any like official, official more information to say, yes, there was some issues. Um, so, uh, when you said that the nut needed to be recut, intonation was out. That's in line with a lot of the stuff that I've heard with the, the blue ones, that there was that issue. Um, and so the one thing I will tell you though, and it, and I see it's CID, so you're in Canada, right? So I assume that CID is your, is the, is for Canada, um, for your, for your type of currency. Um, so I don't know how easy it will be, but I, I think you can reach out to Gibson. Um, 
So one thing I've talked about in the past, and I've mostly talked about with Fender, but Gibson as well as too, is that they are a big company and they kind of run kind of like a, a car company where sometimes if you have an issue before you just go, oh, I got a, a bad guitar, okay? Especially if it's a newer model, like that's a new model. Before you go down the hole, oh, I got a, a dud, it might be worth your while to call customer service at Gibson and talk to them because because um, if it is a problem consistently, they'll have a fix, including just like a car dealership, they'll say, bring it in or ship it back to us and we have a fix. We're aware of this issue or that issue with the guitars. Um, or at the very least, if they've never heard the issue before, you're helping them with a guitar like that. I know it's your time, but it could be your money being saved. So you have to take a chance. You know, you contact them, let them know you had a problem. Either A, they'll take care of you because it's a problem that's happening consistently across the board, which is what I'd highly suggest you do, even if you had somebody look at it already. And then if it's not a problem, you're the first that could be the start of that. So when 20 people later call and say they're having a problem, that person will be taken care of. It's not as, and maybe you'll get the call back. So um, Gibson, I know we talk, you know, about these big corporations. There's a lot of things not to, to not like about a big company like Gibson or Fender or, you know, you name it. But at the end of the day, they do want to sell guitars <laughs> and they do want customers to rebuy guitars. So there is an incentive for them to help you. Um, in my experience, as bad as they are, they're usually the worst companies are the fly by night ones that, you know, you never heard of. That's why I told you I'm always a little freaked out um, by new, uh, the new uh, guitar that is, you know, super cheap and it's got this brand and stuff, you know, like I told you guys with eArt and all those guitars, if they don't sell them on Amazon, I don't even talk about those um, companies anymore. Um, and I haven't done it in forever. In fact, I even said there's a company who was selling on Amazon and I didn't have any bad experiences and I didn't hear anything from you guys, but then they went direct only and they stopped the Amazon thing. And then I stopped talking about their product. Um, because I can trust that your return policy will protect you with Amazon for the most part. Again, everybody's going to have an exception to that rule and a story, but I feel safe and sleep at night knowing that I told you like, okay, if you buy this and it's not what I said in my video, cause I can't control every, every scenario you can get your money back versus, you know, I hate those emails when the email comes in and going, I bought this guitar on this website and now they got my money and they won't respond to me. I'm like, ah, it's horrible. And then I'm like, I don't want that to happen to anybody. So, so the nice thing about a branding company like Gibson is I would give them a shot to fix it, especially I'm, I'm just basically echoing what you said. I've heard your same, what you just said. I've heard that now from multiple people with the guitars, multiple. And I've also heard people got taken care of. That's what I heard. Yeah. You could be the one to either get the, the benefit of that information, or you could be the one to tell me next week that it's not happening the way I'm being told. Either way, it will be helpful for the community. Um, Scent of a wheelchair fellow just wanted to say happy Friday. And I've uh, got made me laugh for their, their crazy sign on. Uh, Grumpy Mike Guitar says, enjoyed the asteroid pick video, but wonder how comfortable it is to hold. You know, it's going to be different for everybody, but I'm addicted to them uh, holding them. Uh, you know, somebody said I might have ADD because it's like a fidget spinner kind of thing. It might be. This is what I do with it just like a fidget spinner. So maybe that's a thing. I don't, I don't know. Um, so I, I absolutely like it. I like holding it. Is it as comfortable as my normal pick? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, the rivets feel good cause I can't drop the pick, but I mean, I don't know if I like, I love, I think the feel of rivets in plastic is a pleasing experience, but 
I don't have any problems with it. You might, but I, I don't. Um, I'm trying to think like, like I have a gravity pick here that's pretty thick and it's pretty cool. And I like them about the same. Like there, there's nothing about either one of these that I wouldn't, I like over the other. So if that helps, that's a great question though. I didn't think to talk about that. Uh, Brian says, what kind of trim system is the most touch sensitive to achieve flutter? Uh, type sounds. I've never owned a Floyd Rose. Should every guitarist have one? So uh, absolutely, uh, Floyd Rose will do that. Uh, the flutter technique. Uh, Kaler will do that, which is really good. Um, and uh, the um, uh, what's wrong with me? There's two other bridges I want to mention. What do I want to mention? Uh, definitely. Why can't I think of the bridge? Somebody's gonna say in the comments. I hope. I've done a ton of reviews of their bridge. It's a, it's a, that's what I like about it. It feels like a, a Floyd. It is, I have Evertune in my head right now, bridge, but it's not Evertune. It's something else. And I'm hoping somebody has the answer because I cannot think of it. Hey, <laughs> I give up. Uh, somebody's a Godo. It's not the Godo. I mean, that works too. Um, Schaller's work great. Vega trim. Thank you, uh, Marlo. The Vega trim is definitely like it has a very Floyd Rosey kind of uh, easy flutter kind of type of bridge kind of feel to me. So I like, uh, you know, but so, you know, most of the two point tremolos, I think, can do flutter as long as they're floating uh, floating or uh, so. So, yeah. So Vega trim. Bigsby a little bit. Somebody saying Bigsby. Sure. A little bit. I don't know if I would, you know, it's not my go to bridge for that, although I love Bigsby's as well. So. The Duesenberg trim can kind of do it. But when I think of Flutter, I think of the Floyd, the Kaler, the Vega trim. Those are the big three that I think of, you know, in those style bridges. And then anything that's kind of like those style bridges will be good enough. So somebody's got a lot of people are going to put in a lot of comments and most of them are going to be right because as long as the anatomy of those bridges are the same, it's going to do the same effect. Okay. Uh, McDowell, McDowell's, hey, they're McDonald's, but we're McDowell's. They got the golden arches and we got the movie joke. Okay. So, uh, KYG, I modded an Eastman E10 SS, a whole step down with heavier strings to compensate for the tension in, uh, intonation action change noticeably, uh, set up advice or need a new nut. So you need, uh, so it's an acoustic guitar. So two things, obviously, even with decreasing, uh, you, you decrease the tuning. So of course relieve the tension, but you added heavier strings that not may not be the same. It, in other words, the tension before and now may not be the same because a uh, whole step, you know, you, you might've got too aggressive with the strings. I don't know, but so you might need an adjustment on the truss rod is what basically what I'm saying. Okay. So on that guitar, you would adjust the truss rod, tighten it a little bit. It's a possibility, but definitely your intonation issue is your saddle, your bridge saddle. Um, it's an acoustic guitar and that bridge saddle was probably cut or compensated for the tuning that it was in. Acoustic guitars are really temperamental to intonation issues when you mess with tuning sometimes like that. So you, and what's great is you can get a new saddle and you can keep the old one. So in case you ever put it back. So I would go get a new saddle and then have uh, somebody cut it for you or do it yourself. Um, either way, it's not the hardest thing in the world to do. So yeah, something like that. Uh, Vimp69 just said, hey, have a great, a great weekend, everyone. Thank you, Vimp69, uh, especially for the large super chat. That was really nice as well. Um, and then, how are we doing? We're doing good. Um, let's do these last two super chats, and then I'll get into the 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 crowd. Okay. 
Oh, Matt says, did you notice the EVH USA signatures aren't available anymore? I suspect they'll be Japanese made from now on. USA didn't sell because it's too expensive. Um, that's possible. I, so let's start with that. I didn't notice that the EVH signatures aren't made anymore. Um, that could be a thing. I mean, you know, here's the problem. You know, a lot of the EVH guitars, uh, the main Japan ones uh, that are been re-released and the main Mexico ones are really, really good. The main Indonesian ones are really, really good. It's really tough to start justifying, you know, those USA ones after a while. I mean, those were hefty, hefty price guitars, comparatively speaking. And I personally think, although, you know, you know, I personally think the USA ones were some of the best ones I've ever played. The main Mexico, the main in Japan, and the uh, main Indonesian ones weren't far off. In fact, they were sometimes the import guitars that of a, a sub brand import guitars of a, of a higher premium brand. Sometimes they, they don't do themselves a service if they're too damn good because then you can't justify why you need to spend all this money. Um, but it also could be just bandwidth. You understand Fender, which is Fender Custom Shop, Jackson Custom Shop, they're, they're not, their bandwidth's not really huge right now. They're, um, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, we talk about, this is why I have the opinions I do. We talk about uh, import guitars and the treatment of the employees. Look, this is not a high-paying industry, okay? You're buying... $6,000 guitars. The people building $6,000 guitars are not driving up in a full-size, fully loaded pickup truck and then driving home to their to their home with their family in their nice two-car garage thing. And, you know, I mean, they're not making, you know, big union wages. This is not an industry that pays really well. Um, it is very common uh, that you could own a guitar that is uh, seriously 10 times more expensive. In other words, let's say, you know, three to $500 guitar. You can have a guitar that's 10 times more expensive than those. And the person building it is making what you make at In-N-Out Burger. That's an absolute fact. As you guys know, I have tons of friends in this industry and they're on every level of job. Every, I, I have friends that literally sweep. I have friends that are CEOs. I have friends, you know, um, that sand in buff, you know, you guys know Nathan. Um, and he even, he's even promoted recently. Um, I have friends, everywhere. And it's a passion business. You know, there's no conversation that I have with anyone who works, who's a worker in this industry that doesn't end and start the conversation with, I would never do this if I didn't love this so much. And so, um, it's hard to get that passion. You know, they, you're trying to find employees that want to, that will, that will work for almost nothing. And, you know, put out the best quality products in the world. It's a tough thing, and they're not—they're not doing well as these companies. Um, I—I'm I, not picking on any particular company because I can tell you right now they're all in trouble with it. Um, Music Man—I've heard they're understaffed right now. Fender's definitely understaffed. I've heard, you know, some com some companies. So you know, just to give you an idea how low wages are in this industry as a whole. Um. I recently heard a story of an employee who was working in California who moved to Tennessee to work for, I think Gibson probably because it's Tennessee, um, because there's no employment tax in Tennessee. And just that enough, that alone, obviously Tennessee is not cheap to live in anymore. So it's not like, you know, it's expensive as California, but it's not cheap. Even though it's not much cheaper to live, just getting that in his pocket makes this almost unlivable wage I don't even know if it's livable at that point, but it's something more. So it gives you an idea. That's a decision somebody has to make, right? That's uh, somebody who's making you a $6,000 guitar. That's the decision that person has to make. 
why you play a $6,000 guitar, $5,000 guitar. How do I get 8%, 10% more in my pocket so I can live? Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I'm not here to criticize that as so much as just, again, this is the discussion. It's just honest, transparent discussion here. So, uh, so to answer, go back to, uh, I gotta go back to that screen to finish this question. Here it is. Um, with the EVH signatures, it could be as simple as, yeah, sales are low and they're just going to fo uh, focus on Japan. It could be because again, they just don't have the bandwidth to do that. And in other words, they just don't have the employees and the size to keep all these models going because there's just not a lot of people to work for that. Um, Nathan, as you guys know, he, you're all f uh, f fans, uh, friends of his on this channel. You know, he said a lot of crazy and done crazy things. He's pretty up straight shooter guy, kid. I say kid, but you know, cause I'm old and, uh, and, uh, he's not paid very well. You know, it's just not, he's just not, that's just my opinion, you know? Um, but he loves it. He loves doing this. And, and my hope for him is, is kind of like my thing. When I started in this industry, I didn't get paid very well either. And it's not an excuse. And I'm not going to sit here and say anybody's, you know, it's, you should, you know, anyone should have to live that way. But I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you, like I once, this is a true story. Think about this. I, in my, in my town city, I, 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 where I had a repair shop, I was a go-to repair center. In other words, I was inundated with work to the point where my biggest problem was trying to get that one day off because I had so much work all the time. Sounds like a brag, right? Till you get to this point, the bathroom in the store, um, had some issues, had damage. So I don't know if this, this, the toilet overflowed or something happened and it, got, it had to be fixed. The toilet got fixed. The bathroom's small in the store. I don't know what the size of the bathroom is. Um, my wife probably, well, she's the one that had it fixed. So I, I'm going to say eight feet by six feet bathroom. That's my guess. I could be wrong. Could be smaller, not much bigger. Um, one day, the bathroom had to be fixed because the toilet had to be replaced. And what had to be fixed was it had linoleum and then that got all ruined. And so they had to put in tile. A guy came and I'm not here to, I'm, look, I, I work with my hands. I'm not here to make fun of or hurt anyone's feelings that work with their hands. But a guy came and installed tile. Um, I wasn't paying attention because I had work to do. So yeah, I probably could have got down and did tile. I've done tile many times, but I was like, I'll just hire a guy. Cause my brain was like, I'm busy. I'm going to work 10 hours today repairing guitars. During that day, I repaired a, a Gibson headstock. I, I broke a Gibson headstock that was already glued on incorrectly. I had to re-break it off, re-glue it, reset it. I had to do two or three setups. Um, then I did a, a two electronics rewires. I'm trying to think of my day. That was, I'm not making any of this up. This was like my day. At the end of the day, I had a sheet every day with my labor that I would, that I, cause that's how I got paid. I would turn it in to my wife because my wife was essentially a bookkeeper, right? My eight, 10 hours of working on guitars and as a, as a revered technician, as somebody who's a go-to people who are driving across town to come to me, I didn't make as much as the guy laying the tile in the bathroom, the bill for laying the tile, not the cost of the tile, just the labor for the tile way more than I made. I remember this because I looked at my wife. I looked at the bill because it was on the counter on the, on the desk. And I looked at my, my invoice and I thought I should go lay tile for a living. I wasn't kidding. So on that note, I hope you guys have a great week. I'm going to have a, a great week, hopefully too. All right. As always, thank you so much for your time. To the next time, know your gear.